Welcome to Bloom Together, the podcast where we cultivate education leadership, innovation, and impact, one conversation at a time. Join us as we learn from visionary leaders, share inspiring stories, and uncover strategies that drive meaningful change in K-12 education throughout Idaho and beyond. Greetings and good day, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Bloom Together. I am Mike Caldwell. I'm your host. And today we're in the beautiful town of Soda Springs, Idaho, my alma mater. And joining me for this first segment is Sally Peterson and Chantel Allen, both kindergarten teachers here in Soda Springs at Thurkle Elementary. So Sally, Chantel, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. And you guys are professional podcasters, so this is just old hat for you guys. <laughs> You've been around the block a few times, right? They're just stopping for another, another That's right. just another podcast to you guys, right? All in a day. All in a day. <laughs> All right. And Chantel says she has some great jokes to tell us later, I think, right, oh, yeah, Chantel? Definitely, okay. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, here we are in Soda Springs. We're, we're highlighting some different schools around the state that have kind of popped out and really shown some, some great success in what they're doing, specifically in reading. And um, so I'm happy to, to, to get the two of you today and talk about what you're doing here at Thurkle Elementary and specifically in reading instruction. So maybe set the stage for us today, Sally. Start us off with a, a story or some sort of, um, I guess, anything you would like to kind of set the stage for our conversation today. Well, I'll just introduce myself first. My name is Sally Peterson. Um, I've taught for a long time. This is my 24th year of of teaching school. Um, 16 of those years have been in kindergarten. Um, The remainder have been in second grade. I love being a kindergarten teacher because I see that I'm laying the foundation for um, the kids that come in. It's their first exposure to formal education. I want it to be fun, exciting, engaging, hands-on. Teaching kindergarten is a labor of love. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, but it's also very rewarding when you hear your children talk positively about wanting to come to school. I had a student this year say to me, I, I overheard them lining up for recess, and one said, Um, We just go from one fun thing to another fun thing. And I thought that was, it touched my heart because that's what I aim for, is to have school be a fun learning experience for the kids. I came here from um, Salt Lake City, so it's been a big switch moving from a big city. Soda Springs is a little bit smaller than Salt Lake. quite a bit smaller. It's taken some (laughs) adjustment to get used to. but it's, you know, it's giving me a, a new look at um, small town. And I've had the experience throughout my teaching career to teach in traditional public schools, um, in a charter school for 10 years, which also is a public school, um, also in a private school before coming here to Soda Springs. And so it's been good. But no matter where I go, kids are kids. And they're really the same in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Chantel, what's your background experience? Um, So I've taught here for seven years in kindergarten. Um, I taught in Blackfoot for a couple years, and then I taught for ISU's GED program for a couple years. 
Yeah, I bet it's great having someone with Sally's experience um, yeah, it's awesome. to get some ideas and, and to learn from her experience. And Sally, I would guess it's also nice to have someone with Chantel's energy and youth and what she brings Snark. to the table as well. You guys probably make a really good team. Oh, we're a great team. And you can say that again. I mean, she's got the energy and the youthfulness and yeah, I have the experience. So good stuff. We're quite a team. Yeah. Well, why don't you just start us off, talk to us a little bit about some of the key metrics you are as a team paying attention to in order to get success. You know, you have to ha- know kind of where you're going and, and oftentimes that starts with the data and, and that drives kind of what you're doing. So what are some of those things that you guys look at as a team um, that help drive what you do? I'm glad you brought that up first because first and foremost, Um, Children coming into the public school system, um, we have no background knowledge on where they're at. And so the kindergarten assessment that we do at the beginning of the school year is key. We gain so much valuable information about not just um, where they're at scholastically, but behaviorally. We need to form those relationships with the parents. The parents come with their child at that time. Um, they need to see that we are trustworthy, and it gives the children a chance to get to know us one-on-one before school starts. So having the assessment time is very important. It gives us our baseline. And then we can kind of track from there week to week or month to month or however often we want to track, and we can start from day one and see their growth today even. Yeah, very cool. So thank you for that. So once you've kind of identified some of the areas that you, you know, you're going to focus on, how do you set your goals for success? And those goals, I don't know if those are kind of quarterly, annually, like what, what, what's your process for setting those goals? And, and what are some of the goals that you guys have this year specifically? So with kindergarten, you have to do a lot of assessing because they're growing so fast. That kind of tapers down. Having been a second grade teacher, the testing and assessment might not be as frequent But when they're learning their alphabet letters, you need to be assessing at least every other week to see where they're at on their letters. And we do use what's called the I-Station, which is um, a requirement throughout the state of Idaho. But in addition to that, so I-Station gives us one point of reference, but the assessments that Chantel and I do on a weekly or biweekly basis – that's another way, and I, I like to look because that's the human connection that I have with the, the children, and I can really see um, where they're at. Sometimes, especially in kindergarten, um, they come in and they might not have had experience with Chromebooks before and iPads. We have Chromebooks this year, and they're not familiar with where the keys are and what to touch, and so having them sit next to me with my book open and I'm color coding everything so I know what they knew when they came in in August. The next time I assess, it's a different color so I can see if there's growth, what's happening with that child. Um, That to me is what I really rely on to track their progress. So how do you know when you have achieved success? So what are some of those indicators that you're looking at to kind of verify that you're on the right track with your students? When we can see them start blending sounds into words and being able to dictate words that we're saying. Sorry, I keep touching the table. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Um, And then seeing them be confident is a big one. 
watching their confidence grow with what they know. So with, with the Phonics First program, one of the key indicators that the children are understanding uh, what we're teaching is through when we dictate consonant-vowel-consonant words and to see if they're able to understand those sounds and put the letters down on the paper. That's one of the key indicators. But definitely by year's end, we want the kids to be um, familiar with all the concepts of print of books, to be fluent in all the alphabet letters and the sounds that they make, um, to, to understand that reading is blending letters together. We look for that. Um, we do that quite frequently during the week with what's called the blending board in the Phonics First program. Um, so, yeah, that's that's our goal. That's the big rock by the end of kindergarten. We want the kids to be at the place where they are fluent. And, and like I said, you're going to have a long range, a wide range of where the kids are at. Some are going to come away being able to read, you know, little books. And others, if they can just know their alphabet letters and sounds, that's where we want them to be by the end of school year. So Yeah. And you guys have really shown a lot of success in terms of growth. I mean, one of the things that I guess brought me here to Soda Springs was the growth that you had. Um, I was looking in particular 21, 22, I think it was a 35, it was an upper 30% growth. Um, and that was all grade levels, not specifically to kindergarten, all grade levels um, and all school. So you guys have had a lot of success in where taking your kids from wherever they are in the fall to bringing them along and, and showing a lot of growth by, by the end of the spring. So what are you guys doing that's maybe unique or, and maybe it's not unique, you're just doing it really well. Can you talk a little bit about kind of maybe your secret sauce and what is making you successful in bringing those kids along? And you could talk school-wide or specifically in kindergarten, however you want to approach that. Okay, so the... The year that you are referring to, that was my first year um, back in kindergarten after having moved to Soda Springs. I'm not sure about Chantel's numbers. It was a little bit different that year because she was part-day kindergarten, part-day preschool. I had 54 kids between my two sessions wow. that year. So I have to say that having an aid, a dependable aid, is critical in a kindergarten classroom. Because they're young, things happen, they need to go be escorted, you know, to the office, to the restroom, they need extra help. So having a good aide um, and a small class, I mean, I think that kind of, those numbers that you talked about, the growth that we saw that two years ago, the 21-22 school year, even with those high numbers, we must be doing something right Absolutely. Yeah, and shout out to those aides. I think I mentioned my wife is a kindergarten aide. I think I mentioned that in a previous kindergarten uh, or a previous episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, just hearing the the work and the, the, the effort that you guys make and what she goes through to, to help kindergartners, it's, those are the unsung heroes oftentimes in our schools is, is those aides and how much they, they help in the, in the classroom. So absolutely. And especially with higher numbers of students in the classroom and, and the, all the individualization that you have to do or in small groups that you have to do to really bring those, those students along is, is a, I'm sure a major challenge and having extra, you know, body in the room that, that is in sync with what you're doing instructionally has to make a, a huge difference. Do each of you have an aid in your kindergarten class? Do you share an aid? What does that look like here? 
We each have an aid. Um, they're different for the morning group versus the afternoon. Um, one of the things that's a little bit unique to kindergarten also is the way that our day progresses. So we start out as a whole group focusing on a literacy lesson. And then in my class, I excuse the kids to go to their table where we do a little bit of handwriting. It's short, 10 minutes. Then we come back to the rug, do some phonemic awareness, which we have a really, really good phonemic awareness program that I just can't say enough good about that we started two years ago. And then after that, we do center rotations where the kids work in small groups. And during that time, one of their centers is to come to teacher table where we give them the instruction and do assessments. So they're moving around. They're doing a lot of fun and different things rather than just sitting in one spot for a long period of time. Yeah. Could you elaborate a little bit on your on your phonics program and what yes. makes that special or why, why you like that so much? So the phonics first program, um, the way that we teach the alphabet letters in kindergarten, it's called layer one. And we introduce the letters. Um, it's one a week, which is kind of slow for some of the kids when they come in already knowing their letters. But if you mix that up and you're like teaching that one letter per week, but then at the same time, as part of our Hagerty phonemic awareness lesson, we go through the whole deck of alphabet cards every day. So it gives what each child needs. They're all getting it in a different way, you know, so we're lots of exposure throughout the day. I don't know if Chantel wants to jump in here and talk about red words. Sure. Um, So our red words are just another word for our sight words um, that we use. And the nice thing about this Phonics First program is they are um, up and moving and we're riding in sand or shaving cream or um, riding on bumpy paper or tapping it on our arm or riding it in the sky. So there's lots of movement with what we're learning to kind of help and connect that and same with our really using a lot of senses yes in in how they're doing and movement yeah can touch every kid's different way of learning so some kids learn by writing it some learn by finding it some learn by you know doing a movement or whatever so and is that part of the phonics program or is that something that you guys added a layer to it so it's part of the phonics program and then we kind of add to it like we do chalk or we'll do you know other kind of silly things that the kids like like the shaving cream if we or magnetic letters or magnets or yeah just marbles. to keep it fresh you know you don't want the boredom to get in and so yeah but they rotate around so when we're learning a new red word which we get to lesson nine I think that's the, the lesson that we start teaching the red words and they're the high-frequency words or sight words, like mm-hmm. Chantel said. Um, the kids rotate around to each table all at the same time. We don't sit down. They stand behind their chairs. We're not there for long enough to sit. One of the tables is air right, and so I'll have the red word written up on the board, and we put our pointer finger up in the air, and we say the word, and then we write it out with our finger in the air, while the others may be writing it with their doodle board or in the sand, Um with magnetic letters, with colored pencils. It, we do it three times. We read it and we underline it. After we say, after we spell it out and write it, we read the word by running our finger underneath the word and reading it. Then we quickly rotate to the next table. So they go to six tables and it's done in 
less than 10 minutes. But they're writing that word over and over again. A lot of at-bats then, a lot, yes. of, a lot of practice. And in that total time that you spend in reading instruction on a daily basis, what's, what's the approximate time that you, you spend every day? Well, the kids are with us for not quite three hours. I would say of that time, um, direct instruction, an hour of literacy. And that would be through read-alouds. And that's when you're doing your rotations? Yes, and that would be part of it. And it might be broken up with handwriting so that they don't get bored just sitting in one spot. But overall, about an hour. You say three hours. A little less than three hours. Are they half-time kindergarten? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. We're part-time. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't didn't realize that. Yeah, I'd love to put the plug in at the end (laughs) for a full day. Put it in. Full day. So I taught full-day kindergarten for 10 years. It's kind of a – this is a hard one for me because kindergarten is not required. It wasn't a required grade in Utah, and it's not here in Idaho either. And yet, we have a lot of standards that we are expected to teach. So it's like, how can it be not a requirement, and yet we've got to teach um, all these things to get kids ready for first grade? And it's a lot. It's not the kindergarten that you and I had. No, I believe well, maybe it. Maybe you did. No, but I believe not it. That I yeah. had. It's changed a lot. And so the full with a full day kindergarten, you just get to slow everything down. You can have more fun. Um, it's not, I mean, we, it's such little bit of time, we really don't have time to teach science concepts, the social studies, the art lessons. You know, and if we were full day, we could do that. So absolutely, I want to put the plug in. Well, and and you're you're you kind of pr- jumped ahead to one of my qu- next questions, which is, what is the greatest area of opportunity for continued improvement? And it seems like if you're talking about a really big shift or change, it seems like that makes sense as yes. as a really good step. Do you do you understand or know why you are not full time kindergarten? There's a lot of schools that are in Idaho. Well. We are severely limited on our space. We're just like busting at the seams at our school. We already have a portable, but we've had our computer teacher, our PE teacher, our music teacher, they've all lost their rooms, and they move around throughout the school with a cart. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Because we needed classrooms. So you space. have an afternoon group and a morning group. Yes. So you have two subsets of, yes. of kindergartners that you see, mm-hmm. which is probably adds to the exhaustion by the end of the day. It does. <laughs> it can be a good thing or not. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to kind of wrap up a little bit on this part of the conversation, you're in a rural school um, here in here in Idaho. What do you see some as some of the unique challenges that you face as a small rural school here in southeast Idaho um, and some of the hurdles that you've had to overcome to get where you are? Uh, well, we kind of talked about this, the space and – I mean, that's probably a lot to do with funding, too. Just We're, we're crammed. Physical space. Yeah, in your- we're crammed in here. Um, and then sometimes when you're a rural school, you don't have all the resources that a big school has. Absolutely, yeah. And so that's kind of one I feel like. That's a huge one. Here. Yeah. <laughs> any any sp- specifically that you think about, like, that you know that other, you know, larger schools are getting that you're just like, Uh, If we only had that or whatever. Oh, yeah. What are some of those things? Behavioral specialist, you know, um, 
We have a really diverse population here in Soda Springs, and we have some children that need um, a place where they could go and chill out and have, you know, discussions about behavior with somebody that's knowledgeable. We do have a great um, psychologist here in our school. She's new this year. Um, but it could be, we could use more help. Substitutes are really, really hard to find right now. Yes. You know, in a small community, you just have what you have. Right. Yeah. And work with it. So, yeah. So it's more of the human resources that, yes, that, that are kind of top of the list. Yes. Right. I'd say so. What about advantages? Do you see any advantages being in a smaller rural school? Our community is a huge advantage. In what way? That, they're always supporting. They do like a cereal drop. So every um, circle student goes home with a box of cereal over Christmas break. So they're not hungry. Um, Love that. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we did our Veterans Day program just last week. And that's a huge turnout by the community to come and watch that. And every school comes to it. So the kids get to see their big brothers and sisters too, which is fun. Very cool. Yeah, our music teacher is wonderful. Um, she works really hard with, she comes in with her cart once a week to each classroom. She taught the kids all the words to the Star Spangled Banner, which for kindergarten, that's quite the song with the words to to learn. But those little kids last Thursday, just their voices were so beautiful. You just got goosebumps listening to them sing the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. And, you know, like Chantel said, the community comes out in force um, to support our schools. You know, having one elementary, one middle school, and one high school here in Soda, um, that's different. I mean, in the Pocatello or Idaho Falls, you've got many of each. Um, we also have a car dealership here that does a trunk or treat, and all the kids know that they can go there at Halloween time. So the community is very supportive. I think that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes of these little kids that need winter wear, school supplies, that supplies are given, clothing is given to our um, psychologist here, our, our worker, for those kids that need the extra help. So we're grateful to have that here in Soda. Yeah, sounds like a, still a great community, the community I remember as well um, when I grew up here. So. Thank you for that. Um, well, Sally, Chantel, thank you so much for what you do. Kudos to to you guys and to all the teachers here at Thurkle. You guys um, have a lot to be proud of. Um, obviously, more work to be done always, right? But That's right. Uh, never ending. But congratulations on the on the work that you've accomplished, and and I appreciate you guys um, joining us on this podcast today. So thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. Well, joining me now here at Thurkle. As an extension from my conversation with Sally and Chantel is Whitney Berger. She's our, she's Thurkle's title intervention specialist and also the leader in me program coordinator. Is that accurate? And then Rod Worthington, who is the principal here at Thurkle. So Whitney, Rod, thanks for joining me and us for this great episode here at Thurkle Elementary. It's our pleasure or my pleasure anyway. I Mine think as Whitney, well. Yeah, Whitney's pretty happy. Over and like too. Chantel and Sally, you guys are also professional podcasters. This is old hat to you guys. Oh, like Sally said, it's just like another day. Right? <laughs> another day at Thurkle, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> what about you, Whitney? Have you done a podcast before? I've not. I'm excited. Okay. Well, good. You're uh, you're professional already, so good work. 
So Whitney, you are the title interventionist. I had the pleasure of poking in to one of your PLCs, uh, PLC meetings um, earlier today as we were kind of getting a tour of the school. Talk us a little bit before we go to the PLCs about um, your intervention process and strategies and kind of what you do when, when you see those students that are starting to, to slide a little bit and you need to jump in and, and provide some additional support. Can you just kind of give us a global perspective of what you guys do here at Thurgol? Yes. So um, in the fall, we look closely at our IRI data and we then further assess students using the phonics first assessment so that we can really pinpoint their skill needs and deficits. And so then we take those kids with the highest needs and we group them based upon their abilities. And it's really exciting because we get to really see what they need and we are able to start our instruction right there and pace it to what they need. And it's really exciting to see these kids grow because a lot of times they're struggling and in the regular classroom, you know, they're not where the others are. But then in our groups, they, they're grouped with kids that their similar abilities. And so we just work with them and we get to see so much growth. It's exciting. Do you consider yourself kind of a data nerd? I mean, do you get geeked out on the, on the data? Is that, is that you or is that someone else? Usually every school has, has one. Is that, would, would that be you? I wouldn't say I was a data nerd, but I definitely spend a fair amount of time looking at the data. Um, I'm more excited about learning about all the things about science of reading that I've been learning in the past two years. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the data, what are some of the things that um, that really stand out to you that you're looking for that um, you know that maybe are really driving some some key decisions? What are some things that you you zero in on? So we're looking at those kids, you know, where all the kids are, seeing how many that we have are high, and then really focusing on those that are struggling and seeing the ones that are continually testing low and then figure out why. Why are they testing low? What skills are they needing? And how can we support them? Let's take a, a little bit of a data for dummies kind of approach here. So a lot of people, our listeners, may be you know not in elementary schools. And like I was a high school teacher and, and principal, so I didn't spend a lot of time on IRI, right? So but there's a lot there in terms of the different strands that are tested or, or assessed in the IRA and you have all the different subgroups. Can you talk a little bit ab about just educate our audience about what the IRI consists of and some of the things that, that, um, that you're looking at? Yes. So the IRI is the Idaho reading indicator and it is delivered via the program of iStation. And depending on the grade level, it looks a little different which skills are assessed. Um, but you can see like their letter sound knowledge, spelling, vocabulary, comprehension. Um, those are the ones that are standing out to me right now. Um, again, it depends on the student's grade level and their skill level to which subtests they're being given each month. And then we're able as teachers and interventionists to look closer at that data and to really look and see, okay, it's spelling that they're struggling with, or they're doing pretty good at spelling and fluency, but their comprehension is really struggling. So we can look closer at those different strands and focus on their needs. So Rod, as the principal, is that something that you spend much time on is, is looking at that data or is that kind of left up to Whitney and the, and the teachers? How much involvement are you on the data side of things? <clears throat> I would say that, um, I, I mean, I look at the data a lot. And um, I guess the, you know, Mr. Data can be um, manipulated any way that we want it to be manipulated, so we have to be really careful with that data. 
And so I guess with with my my vision on that is that we we make sure and and these ladies do an amazing job. All our teachers do an amazing job in looking at that and saying, okay, we can make that data look any way we want, but what are we? What's the impact on the student? And so when we see that impact and we see that light bulb click on and those aha moments, that's where the magic happens. I'm curious on the manipulation when you say that, you know, many might think, well, it's, it's black and white. The data says X or, or Y or whatever else. What do you mean by that? Elaborate a little bit. Well, first we have, I mean, we, I'm, I'm surrounded by teachers and they know that those students are going to be different every single day when they walk through those doors. And so when they walk through those doors and they walk into those classrooms, um, what they're coming in with is, is certainly something that these teachers get to work with every day. They get to work with that. And so when I say manipulation, I'm saying it's, it's a, you know, they, they, they're teaching the skills. Data is a, is a monthly thing, a weekly thing, a daily thing. So it's ever changing, and that's kind of what you're saying, Every and, and how the how the teachers and and intervention specialists and everybody, <clears throat> the teams working with the students, it's it's kind of an evolving, um, moving number, really. Absolutely, and it's and and looking at that data, we have to understand that it's the number, it's just a number, right? But it helps us with that process of teaching that little person, you know, like our kindergarten teacher said. It's, it's reading is a truly a process. It's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. And, and speaking of process, one of the th- consistent things that I'm hearing from these highlight schools, yours being one of them that's across the board is, is a focus on the data, but also this culture of collaboration and, and PLCs and how important that is. And Rod, I was talking to you as you were kind of giving me a tour today was third grade collaboration or, or PLC time. And, and Whitney, I popped into a meeting that, that you were leading with that team. And you guys have it built into your day so the teachers aren't having to stick around after school or come in before school to do that. That's, that's built in as part of their day, which is exceptional in, in my book because that's not always the case you've made collaboration and, and plc time a priority talk to me a little bit about that those plcs how important they are and, and what you guys do during those those weekly meetings with your teachers whitney our plc meetings are extremely important we're super grateful that it is built into our schedule um, we talk about all the needs that we have. So we spend, um, especially at the beginning of the year, a lot of time talking about the data and looking at those scores and the student needs and how we're going to best support them. Um, each we, we meet weekly with each grade level, and so we spend time talking about curriculum, what's working, what do we need to change, sharing out ideas of what's working for each teacher in class. Um, we also talk about our behavior, student needs, um, upcoming events, planning, so all of those things that we need to know. And we do a lot of supporting of our new teachers within these grade level meetings as well. And do you lead, um, Whitney, do you lead each of the grade level um, PLCs? Yes, I do. Okay, so then you also then kind of have that vertical um, lens of, of each grade level, not just within within each grade, and but you have those conversations with kindergarten teachers and first and second and so on and so forth. So that kind of gives you a, a, a more vertical lens. How, how important is that in, in kind of your success overall as a school to have that consistency between the grades? 
It is important because I'm able to see um, kind of how things transition from one grade to another to see what the needs are. I share what I learn in one meeting with the teachers in the next. And then I also take um, a lot of times the information that I'm gathering. And then sometimes our staff meetings are based upon what I've learned there and what we need to spend more time together on. Yeah. And so that seems to be really a, a fundamental part of your culture here at that school of, of the school is, is that, that collaboration time and working together on, on that. And, and that always is not always easy to, it's rarely easy to establish that. Has that been in place a long time here at the school? It has been. We put that in place probably 13 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And has it been fairly consistent over that time? Has it evolved? Is it, is it been kind of it's been pretty consistent we we could do better with our kindergarten it's harder to find a time in the day with them we increased our time from 30 to 40 minutes last year and have kept that this year as well Uh, of your plc time yes so you meet weekly 40 minutes Mm -hmm. gotcha okay um speaking of culture um i've been really impressed just kind of walking around the school a lot of consistency and seems like buy-in a lot of a lot of culture related things i have no doubt that culture and and academic success are tied hand in hand what are some things that you guys are doing from a culture standpoint beyond the PLCs and the collaboration and, and those types of things. So we step away a little bit from curriculum and instruction to kind of more broadly culture and, and how you guys, what you guys believe and how you act as a, as a school. Can you talk a little bit about that, Rod? So first we're a leader in me school and that leader in me school is based off the, the seven habits for highly effective people from Dr. Stephen R. Covey. And through that we have started, we started this program about eight years ago. Okay, eight years ago, and um, and it's been a process, and um, like everything is. But once you walk through the doors, there's a definite, and I think sometimes we take this for, for granted, but when you walk in, there is definitely a culture of, uh, and we can always get better, but of leadership. Uh, we funnel down from school-wide goals. You've seen that as you walk by the classrooms. Yep, absolutely. Um, we have a big, uh, our wildly important goals. Um, we start out with our school-wide goals. It funnels right down to the classroom goals and right down to the student goals. And, uh, and we're constantly tracking those, those goals, and it's another data point. The other part of this is also there's also mission statements. Um, our school has a mission statement. Our, um, our classrooms have a mission statement. It's what they believe, and and then it goes right down to that student, and um, there's a le- leadership atmosphere in that. Every student has an opportunity to serve in their classroom. It's it's been a joy to me, and it's been it's been fun to be part of that. And we're we're one of I don't know how many lighthouse schools there are in the state of Idaho. One of five or less in the state of Idaho. <clears throat> in the state of Idaho. Yeah, and the leader in me, it's I think it's leaderinme.org, if if I'm not mistaken, or something. Yeah, dot com, so, yeah. Or is it dot com? I was looking at that recently and and looks like a great program built on, you know, a really solid foundation of Stephen Covey's work with the seven habits. Um and it's as I was looking and we talked a little bit, each month you you focus on a different habit. Is that Yeah, accurate? we start out and Whitney, you can jump in here. Um we we start out in September with be proactive, begin with the end of mind, it's October, and now we're on uh, putting first things first. 
and everything is based even our staff meetings. Um, we we focus on our staff meetings. We meet every Tuesday, or try to meet every Tuesday, and our our one staff meeting is always focused on the leader and me, uh, and the, and the habits, and it helps develop that with the teachers. And it's a great reminder to uh, well, put first things first. Yeah. So I have um, maybe two two different questions on on the impact of of that program in your school. One is I hear frequently that one of the biggest challenges in school is behavior and especially since COVID. Um, how much has the Leader in Me program maybe curbed some of that or has it um, and or prevented some of the things, you know, behavior-wise? I'm sure you still have behavior issues. Every school does. You're not going get to get, get away from that, I'm sure. And if you, if you don't, you have something really special to share. Um, but talk to me a little bit about, and this Whitney could go from, come from you or Rod, behavior and how, how the Leader in Me program is kind of helping in that regard. And then I have a secondary question related to the Leader in Me program. So we are using the Leader in Me to help our students understand their part, their role, and how they can deal with their struggles. Um, yes, we definitely still have our fair share of behaviors. Um, and we, our Leader in Me website has become a lot more robust in recent years. And so we've been diving into more of the resources that are available on there. Um, that help actually specifically speak to behavior. And um, reframing also how we as educators think about students who are struggling because some of them are really challenging. But as we're reframing our minds to think about, okay, why why is the student acting this way? There is a reason behind this behavior. And if we can try to understand that reason and help to fill that need, we can help to lessen these behaviors and so those are some of the resources we have on there. We're also, um, one of them that we have been growing our use in is with our... Restorative, with, restorative practices. Yes, mm-hmm. our restorative practices. So mm-hmm. we're, growing, we're growing our skills as students are coming with a lot more challenges. So the Leader in Me program and website is really giving us skills and ideas and resources to try. Yeah, well, this segment of the conversation is a really good tee up for our next entire segment of our podcast series. This has been focused, you know, from October, to December on the science of reading in Idaho schools. And our next segment from January to March is really going to be focusing on school culture and, and uh, behavior and, and what, and school climate, those types of things. And so this is a, a good kind of teaser for, for some of that as well. Going back to both the leader and me program and then tying it into what you're doing academically as a school, what, would you say are some of the key things that are kind of where, where they merge together? You have the culture and, and, and the goal setting and, 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 and the different focus areas per month and different things that you're doing in that regard. And then you have this effort that's happening, you know, in the, in the classroom with, with reading and, and math and everything else, where do they really tie together and, and that, that are making the difference? Um, one that stands out is our goal setting. Uh, like Mr. Worthington said, we have each student has an individual goal for reading and for math, and we also have a class goal and a school goal. But we do a lot of supporting the students to make those goals, helping them understand what their goal is, why it's important, how they can make it, and then encouraging along the way. And then we also do a lot of celebrating when we've made those goals with the individual, the class, and as a school. Um, something that we've added this year is a monthly habit assembly. And so we get excited. Just It's just a quick assembly, and we get excited to talk about the month's 
monthly habit, but also we have a student from each class sharing out about how they are being a leader. And so hopefully that's inspiring our students to want to be noticed for their good behaviors. Absolutely. Yeah. It seems like you're doing a lot of things proactively to bring all those, all those things together and, and goal setting. I mean, that is so foundational to success in anything you do and you can learn, start to learn how to do that at, at such a young age. It's going to, you know, tie into everything else that they do academics and beyond. So great stuff. Anything you would add there, Rod? I just appreciate, <clears throat> I'll tell you the sex, excuse me, the success has come from, and I, I shared this with, with you earlier is first we have excellent teachers, mm -hmm. um, very impactful. Um, class size makes a difference. It does. And then having the right curriculum and the right, the right resources um, in order to make that all happen. And with all of that, um, I would say that we have some foundational programs like the Leader in Me program that helps drive our, our school culture with our teachers, our students, um, our community, uh, it's huge. Um, these our, our, our parents receive, um, just an, a side note, which I really like what we've changed this year, is they have habit helps that are sent home, and so they're bringing families together. And then that brings the, communities to, the community together. And with all of that, it's not just our school, but we're, we're, we're really, I, I, I guess what we're doing is we're teaching the whole, the whole child and with everything involved with that, um, I really just look forward to seeing these little people become really great, big leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you guys have a lot to be proud of. Um, you're doing some great work here. It's been fun to to walk around the school. As a Soda Springs alum, I didn't get to go to Thurkle. I started in Soda Springs in fourth grade over at Hooper Elementary, which no, is no longer um running as a school unfortunately but uh it's it's great for me to come back here 30 years after graduation or so and and see you know see the great work that's happening in in my own community here so it's good stuff so kudos to you guys any parting thoughts or closing comments that you guys would like to add maybe anything i didn't ask that you'd like to share that you're doing or that you're proud of here um, one thing that I'm excited about is how much that I've learned in the past two years about the science of reading and understanding those strands better. I feel so much more prepared to be to teach students how to read in ways that they actually learn to read. Um, and so our school has engaged in multiple trainings with our phonics first and um, some other things and one through the state that have helped us under better understand how to help our students read to meet the needs of students with characteristics of dyslexia and i just i feel like we're much better prepared yeah have you guys had your dyslexia <coughs> training yet we have oh, yeah, yeah absolutely okay yeah um what about you rod anything closing comments or anything that you'd like to share that i didn't ask i just um i would like to thank you know sometimes we we um we say sometimes we don't have enough but i will say that our literacy money that the state legislature and um, our good governor has uh, set aside and made a priority. Um, I appreciate uh, Superintendent Critchfield in maintaining that um, because then what it does is it allows us to bring the resources, the time, money, and people in play, and then we can move 
you know, we can move the business forward. Absolutely. And um, it's really a, it's a great thing as a principal and just I'm grateful uh, for, for our legislature in, in, in doing that. We always want more, <laughs> but we're grateful. I'm grateful for what we have. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Yep. There's always more that, that, uh, that any, any school should, I mean, would, would need and, and want and, and understandably <clears throat> so, because it's a very challenging task that, uh, that we as educators are faced with and that you guys do every day. So, um, certainly respect that. So again, thank you to the, to the team here for your efforts and for participating in this episode of, of uh, Bloom Together. Thanks to all of our listeners that are listening today and also to all of our listeners that have followed us along in this, in this series on focusing on the science of reading in Idaho schools. With that, we'll close out and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us to explore education leadership, innovation, and impact here on Bloom Together. We encourage you to continue these dialogues in your communities, classrooms, and organizations. Be sure to visit bloom.org together where you can discover more episodes or click join the conversation if you'd like to be a guest. Until next time, keep learning, keep blooming, and keep making an impact one conversation at a time. <laughs>